Welcome to another episode of The Returning Citizen. Returning Citizen is a resource for people coming out of prison and their families, sharing stories, connecting resources, and building community. Upon the request of a few different listeners, I'd love to paint a little bit of context, uh, broad-level context for today's conversation. The United States has the highest rate of incarceration of any country in the world. Uh, Most of the folks that get locked up return home as our neighbors. Uh, Detroit alone has thousands. Uh, I think the number was over 3,000 returning citizens that that come out of prison every year and return to the community. So uh, the goal of the returning citizen is to uh, educate folks about what resources are available in order to thrive. Um, So with that said, I'd love to dive right in and introduce our guest today. Returning to the program is the amazing Anna Cohn. Um, As a reminder, she was uh, on last week, but as a reminder... Anna is an accomplished nonprofit strategist with proficiencies in training programs for incarcerated individuals, anti-recidivism programs, as well as fundraising, grant writing, project management, and community engagement. Uh, She is affiliated with a number of different amazing organizations, including Recovery Park, uh, the Detroit Returning Citizens Task Force, Citizens Alliance, uh, uh, CAPS, Citizens Alliance on Prisons and Public Spending, Luck Inc., and many more things. And be sure, if you haven't already, to check out uh, her Facebook group, Chow Line, which she's frequently posting job opportunities and uh, amazing programs. It's, it's really uh, incredible. So be sure to check that out. C-I-A-O-L-I-N-E, Chow Line on Facebook. And then we're extremely excited to welcome our guest of honor, James J.Mo Thomas, to the program today. Uh, James is a writer and activist who was locked up at age 15, uh, has spent the last 30 years in prison and was just released uh, a couple weeks ago. Yes. So very, very excited to have you here, JMO. Thank you very much. So we're going to be diving in today into JMO's story, hearing about just his experience in the system and what's happening next. So without further ado, love to throw the ball into uh, JMO's court. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Um, a little numb and culture shocked by what I've witnessed in the city. Um, and just um, taking my time reintegrating back with my family, you know, um, have over 100 cousins I'm meeting, you know, and they have a million stories to tell. So that's been fun. And a million one questions to ask me. But um, for the most part, I'm doing great. You know, I'm, I'm, it's bittersweet um, because I know we still have a fight with over 260 other juveniles that, um, we, that everybody's working hard to try to get them released because county prosecutors are still seeking life in prison without parole for them. So we have a, we have a fight before so that's something that um we have to take advantage of and really fight on behalf of those other men and women fantastic and uh just before we uh continue here i did forget to introduce my faithful co-host eric burgess eric if you want to introduce yourself my name is eric burgess uh, and i want to commend uh jmo for uh, being a strong man and <clears throat> want to come out here and uh, be an activist and trying to you know Transform not only his life but others' lives as well. Like he says, prosecutors still being um, not not an ally to this uh, draconian law that Michigan has for juvenile lifers. And I feel him because I was up on a 650 drug lifer law, which I got sentenced to mandatory life without no parole. I just want to thank you, brother, for uh, standing up. You know, and, uh, giving your voice. This podcast is not only for uh, Michigan. 
people or citizens, this is for people that's around the world, may be in the same situation as us. Right. And thank God you're at home. Thank you very much, brother. And, and Eric ultimately spent 18 years in prison. Correct. Uh, served 18 years out of that sentence. Yeah. Um, and you've been out for eight years? Nine. Nine years. Nine. Been out for nine years. Um, great. So so diving back in here. So, Jamo, you were locked up at age 15. Yes. That's, you were a young man. Yes, 1987. So... Why, in God's name, were you sentenced as an adult the way that you were? Um, I personally believe it was a lot of politics going on in the 80s with the crack epidemic. And they just, a lot of young people were being used by older adults. And I think at some point the system decided they were about to start wavering uh, quite a few children, teenagers over to the adult system to possibly set an example that that was not going to be tolerated. And I think me and many others in that era— we fell victim to that. Gotcha. And I understand that while you were in prison, you didn't sit back and just, you know, quiet down. If, if anything, you uh, stood up and, and took, you know, the amount of control right. that you could into your own hands and, and started a number of really exciting programs. So as I understand it, you were involved in the founding of Writer's Block. Yes. Uh, with another program called the Teddy Bear Project. Yes. Could you, could you tell us a bit about what about those programs and uh, what it looked like to, um, um, to to start those programs under those conditions. What inspired me most of all is that um, a psychologist, he made statements about me, and I said at that point that I w- was not going to live up to those statements he made about me, according that I must do something with my life, even with the natural life sentences, that I must make my life matter regardless of the circumstance environment I was in. And um, that was one event that inspired me the most. And just knowing I had to give back to society because I was always seeking redemption for taking another human being life. And somebody's life was lost tragically. And that's something I don't think we can ever forget that we do have victims in our cases and their voices must be heard. And I pray that I would be able to make sure their voices are heard in my writings and in my work within the community. Something I've been tempting to do through the Teddy Bear Project. And what we did with the Teddy Bear Project, me and a young lady named Ellen Pock and a few other gentlemen, incarcerated citizens, we all came together and said, what can we come together and collaborate, do to help give back to the community? Just to show the community that we have redeemable qualities. And we started sewing teddy bears and making quilts and hats and, oh, school bags and start raising money with the men in the prison to buy school supplies and things of that and then. And that has been, I, I was doing it for about like nine years, you know. And o- I think over that time, we raised easily fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. And we received support from all the incarcerated men there, staff and volunteers, and the prison administrator. Because they, you know, they, they didn't have a choice but to get behind the program because it was successful. And we was reaching national and local news, which made the facility look good. Mm-hmm. That was not tent, but it made them look good to see they had a successful program going on there that was giving back to the community. Um, with Writer's Block, um, again, me and a group of great individuals came together and said we had to create a space for these intelligent men that we had around us so they can, you know, let their voices be heard through their writings, through their paintings. And that was the motivation behind starting Writer's Block. Um, and fortunate over the years, we was able to bless to meet some of the most beautiful human beings that came in that wanted to get on board as volunteers. Michael, Jonathan, um, Evan, Katie, Leah, Mary, quite a few people over the years worked with us to make Writer's Block and other programs become successful. 
Yeah, and so I'm, I'm personally curious. I mean, it's hard enough to start a program when you're not in prison. So what was it like physically starting those programs uh, for me from, from inside the system? Because of the job, I was the, a program clerk, so that gave me an opportunity to meet with the administration and you know, sell the idea to them, the importance of having this program, that if you get these men involved in positive programs, the less likely they'll be on the yards doing things you know, when they, when you have idle minds, trouble can happen. Devil works. So, yeah. you know, and over the years, you know, they they know when I got involved in anything that I was going to go beyond the call of duty, make sure it's successful, and make sure we had the right people involved in it. So, that helped out a great deal. The relationships I built with certain people at that particular facility that uh, made it possible for us to get the programs approved by the warden and um at the time. So. It's incredible. Had had you been uh, an artist previously, out of curiosity, or, or was that something that no, was I thought inspired I, by the I thought I was a singer, and I had to get that up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, honestly, I was inspired to write by the me and I was surrounded around. You know, my goal was just to get the program started because I know we needed it. And through my work with the National Life of America and um, the NWACP, we just created programs. We knew the importance of having programs available for men because we witnessed that the MDOC wasn't creating those type of programs. We had to create them on our own, and just by the grace of God, we was able to get them approved, you know. And and and, and, and we was blessed. We had some sponsors through Chance for Life, Mr. Tom Adams, Jessica Taylor, that um they were able to make phone calls for us sometime and get things done that other people couldn't get done for us. So that helped out a great deal. And how did you guys meet? How did uh, I met Anna? Anna I originally met Anna. She was working for the the education department coming in. And I just, you see her come through and she sees us making teddy bears. And one day we invited her in the room and we had a a chance of life transformation award ceremony. We invited her because we seen the work that she was doing in the community at that particular prison. That's how we met. And um, like me, when we have particular causes, I reach out to everybody. So, I think I asked Anna, said, Anna, we need some candy cane sticks. We need you to bring some candy cane sticks in and put in these stockings that we're making for children and children in hospital, battered women's shelters and things like that. And she came on board. And from that point on, we became great friends. I, I had totally forgotten about the candy canes. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I remember I remember J-Mo because he actually sat in on my class and mm-hmm. he started to put together oh, yeah. a business plan yeah. around, you know, saying, OK, well, what if we took the teddy bear project a step further and, and really created whether it's a nonprofit or some kind of for profit around, <clears throat> you know, benefiting, um, benefiting children, especially in places like Children's Hospital mm-hmm. and getting them those things that they really need. And so, you know, getting to know what what J-Mo wanted to do as far as you know he wasn't he wasn't trying to get out there and say well i'm going to be a millionaire in a year he was like no i'm i'm doing something i i want to give back to a community you know from which i took so much away and i i want to give back in a way that that i know is meaningful and i mean as long as i've known jmo his his number one passion is is kids making sure that kids are okay making sure that kids have what they need and i mean really caregiving overall is is something that that jmo does quite well let me interject, but I just want to uh, tell Anna thank you for being, having the spirit that we all need. She's a, not only uh, very loquacious, <laughs> but uh, I love her spirit and I love her passion because she doesn't have to do this. It takes time, effort, mental and physical stamina to fight the fight that, you know, returns to the fight. And I just want to say thank you, Anna, from the yeah. depths of my heart. It's my pleasure.
So, life without parole at age 15. Obviously, you're sitting with us here today. So, yes. what, what events ultimately led to your release? Um, for the last 20 years, last 20 years, it has been a fight through the legal system, the legislative, to change the laws. And um, by the grace of God, we was able to get the United States Supreme Court to agree back in June, I think it was June the 26, 2012, that natural life sentences were unconstitutional. And judges must have discretion. They just can't have, just can't be a blanket sentence that fit every situation. And um, from 2012, we, we had been fighting with Michigan Attorney General as well as several others throughout the country, Louisiana, I think Pennsylvania, Alabama, and Florida. They, they fought us the hardest to keep, you know, they fought it hard to keep it in place But because um, they believed that it wasn't retroactive to be applied. Um, 2014, the Michigan Supreme Court agreed with them. So we had we had to put all our money on the United States Supreme Court because we believed their intent was for it to be applied retroactive. If you were just to read the language of their opinion, Attorney General felt different. So we took the fight to the United States Supreme Court. They accepted the cases. We had like three cases going up there, and they accepted all of them um, on certiorari. And um, once we got it up in there, they ruled that their intent was for it to be applied retroactive in January 2016. And that started the ball rolling where the county, the prosecutors had 180 days to decide who they was going to seek life against or who they was going to seek numbers as a result of the law in Michigan being changed, which allowed juveniles that be, to be found guilty of first-degree murder and receive 25 to 60. The minimum can be 25 to 40. The maximum had to be 60. So it gave the judge the leeway to decide how he wanted to sentence people. And that started the process. And um, I was fortunate and blessed to meet, in my eyes, one of the best lawyers, um, Susan Meinsberg. Um, she's a great attorney, um, a friend. And last year she told me, you're going to walk out of prison. In July 2016, um, the prosecutor said they wasn't going to seek life against me. And um, December the 14th, 2016, um, I went right back before my judge, the actual judge that sentenced me, James R. Selinski, to natural life 30 years ago. And we went to court, and um, by the grace of God, the work that I have been putting in over the years, he was impressed by it, you know. He was impressed that a man in prison were receiving humanitarian awards and community service. Well, he was impressed by the work and the amount of money we raised in writer's block um, 2015, we was fortunate to be able to raise $60,000 for at-risk use programs in the city of Detroit. And he was impressed by all that. And he, he decided after the prosecutor decided, listen, we believe that Mr. Thomas should be sentenced to 27 to 60 and two for the gun. And me and my lawyer, we had already agreed that we was going to go with that. We wasn't going to fight them in court about that. Because um, the least amount I can get was 25 to 60. So we wasn't about to fight about two years. And the judge, within five minutes of me being in the courtroom, he decided, he said, it's time for you to go home. And he said, I'm impressed with how you have lived your life in prison, you know. He acknowledged that I had, I had some bumps against the road, that I had been resisting and got caught up in a lot of things early on. And he said, I, I see you matured, you know. And he said, I wish you the best. And we never expected him to have joking moments because he's one of the toughest judges in Wayne County Circuit Court. Um he wanted the judge, unfortunately, to have been vetoing most of the parolable lifers. Um, every time they have went up, the parole board had wanted to release them. He vetoed them. So on that particular day, I think he just had to be in the greatest move ever because he, 
he granted two juveniles released on that day. Um, I think the funniest moment he asked me, do I want to appeal this decision? I said, no, I won't be appealing this decision. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> you know, I won't be appealing this one. Uh, so, um, and that's when the process started. And, um, January 26th, I seen the parole board and they looked over my record and they decided this, that I'm, that I'm not a minister to society and that I can be safe to release back into the community. So they granted me parole February the 2nd and, um, I was released April 18th, 2017, and that's, that's been the process for me. Amazing. Eric, I was curious. I, the situation that, that J-Mo explained with the, the legal changes that ultimately resulted in his sentencing changing, um, I know it was a different crime and it was a different time. I'm curious if that was at all similar to your very experience. Very similar, very similar language uh, as he spoke of as far as the mandatory – Life without no parole. That's the only sentence I could have received at that particular time when I got um, sentenced in June uh, 1991 was mandatory life without no parole. That's the only sentence I could have received, and that's the only sentence that I had gotten. And uh, fortunately, uh, fam, Family Against Mandatory Minimums, there's a very um, substantial and pivotal organization that pushed forward for this law to be retroactive which allowed me to be released after a certain, sir, I think I served 18 years altogether. So I was eligible for parole uh, at 16, 15, but through the process, as far as public public um, hearing, things of that nature, it was a process I had to go through. So by the time I was released, I did 18 years. Gotcha. Well, back to you, Jamo. So you're a newly free man. We're, we're sitting here in the flesh talking to you. Yeah, so what's... Uh, <laughs> What's on the horizon? So what uh, what opportunities do you see in front of you? What obstacles do you see? And what's what's the plan? Um, I, I, for me, I, when it comes to obstacles, that was one of the things that was asked of me and the Chance for Life member, Jessica Taylor, who came at the parole board. My only obstacle, I would say, is just learning just to do the simple things, you know, learning how to work a phone, computer, opening up bank accounts and things. I've read about it a million times, but to actually put it in practice and do it, those are obstacles that I'm going to have to get through. Um, I just got my um, driver's permit, so learning how to drive. You know, um, Anna and a few other people have been letting me drive their cars. It's all about the parallel parking. <laughs> right. you just gotta, don't forget learn your seatbelt. Your seat seat <laughs> so um, I've done good on the um, written test. I have to take the um, actual driver's part in about 30 more days, so... Those are the obstacles. Um, reason I say I don't have many because I have a I have a real strong support cast. There's people that's committed to helping me reenter back into the community. You know, within my family, just within the friendship network. Um, I'm blessed to have Chance for Life, Mr. Tom, Mass, Jessica Taylor, Anna, Cone, Jonathan, Michael Brown, Leah, Mary, um, Evan Major, and the list go on. You know, my family supporters, Monique. Anna, it's just so many people that I have. I have a beautiful support system um, from the University of Michigan Dearborn, a theory group that I was a part of. We was a think tank within the MDLC um, because of the blessings of a professor, Laura Lampert. And I just got a beautiful team that's committed to helping me be successful, you know. And um, I live by it's just no room for failure. It's just no room for failure for me. I have a question for you, Jamie. Yes, sir. Taking the title, taking the title, one of Michael Jackson's song, "Man in the Mirror." Yes, sir. Right now, if you can go back and talk to the fifteen-year-old James Jamo Thomas, what advice would you have for that young man? I, I, it would have to be the same advice I'm receiving from everybody now, and that is to be patient. 
I was I was I think I was moving too fast. I was living adult life with the lack of experience. And I would just say, be patient. You know, don't be in a rush to see the world. And I would also say, don't be afraid to ask for help. For me, I was afraid to ask for help because I was fearful how people would see me. And I think that then would be two, the two most important things I would say to him today. So, so a major point of focus for us uh, on the podcast is to highlight um, – what the specific path looks like for someone coming out of prison, finding a job, right. getting reintegrated. So you touched on that kind of high level. Yes. I'm curious to know uh, from Anna or from JMO, what what is the plan for finding a job? What's the how how are you approaching your job search? Uh, how do you view your your own skill set and mm-hmm. and kind of what's the what's the plan of attack there? Well, I'm working with I met with Chance for Life this Tuesday, and this coming up this coming up week we're going to be meeting again. Um, and my job is to do some work with Chance for Life. Is they about to start a new program where they asking me to be a mentor in it, and that would be a job available for me to actually be getting paid to do it. Where I'd be responsible for mentoring ten different people that they gonna bring on and ask me. They want me to mentor them. Um, I have a great opportunity with Anna at Recovery Park if I choose that route as well, and Jonathan at Freedom School. They didn't offer me an opportunity there, so I have a little something in the mix, you know. And once I put it all together and decide which is the best situation for me that would give me the flexibility to be able to be active in the community because that's important to me as well as becoming financially stable. I have to have the flexibility to do the work that I love to do. So once I get all that together and sit down with my team, we're going to make the best decision to make sure I become financially stable. Once again, I just want to commend you, brother, for standing up and you know, giving back um, Words of Gandhi said, renunciation of the fruits mean be selfless. That's what it means. And I think in order for returned citizens to be successful, we have to become selfless. Yes, sir. And, and right. And like you said, redemption and giving back, I think that's a very uh, surmountable asset that we must possess. And whatever I can do for you, if we can collaborate some way and form, ask and I'm Thing. I always ask a question, right. what, can I start a business, Jacob, also? I always say this, what can I do? And I, just, I mean, that's my passion, right. you know, 18 years, because I know I had a second chance at life. Right. Unfortunately, you know, I could have died in prison, yes, you, know, you know, mandatory life without no parole. That's what it means. It's almost like the death penalty in Michigan. Yes, it is. So just somatics. So like I say, thank God, you know, that you're here. I'm going to pray for you. And hope this won't be my last time seeing you, man. Appreciate it, brother. You know. Thank you. So so now uh, so I asked you about the the job. So this is a, almost a rhetorical question here, but I assume you're going to continue with your activism work as well. So oh, outside yes. of outside of mentoring, what's uh, I started what, what's that next last on the activism night. front? <laughs> started mentoring last night. <laughs> last night, that's mentor right. and activist. That's last right. Night. That's right. Um, I think it's so important. Um, June eighteenth, two thousand seventeen, at um the at the Henderson Memorial Park on Jefferson. It's a juvenile rally that's going to be taking place from two to four, two to four, two to six. And everybody's coming together to address the many injustice issues that are facing the community. Just the juvenile issue is the highlight because we believe it will draw more people attention. But we will, all, we will also be addressing uh, mandatory minimums, you know, the truth and sentencing law. Um, we'll be addressing um, parolable lifers. As well as um, you have a lot of men that's under the felony uh, felony murder statute. Uh, we also be addressing the high phone rate policies, as well as the low pay, low paying wages they're giving 
um, incarcerated citizens. Um, so we'll be addressing many issues, but the juvenile issue will be the highlight issue of that day. I'm going to make sure that we uh, include the details for that in the right. description okay. of the podcast here. So that's that's great. Um, so that's a perfect transition into what I'd love to, to chat about next here. So I'd love to highlight a few other upcoming events. But before we do that, you guys just recently had an event. Was that yesterday? For yes, the, last for, night. Uh, last night for the writer's block. Could you tell me a bit about how that went? As I understand it, it was it was your first time uh, reading your own poetry here. So. Right. It was beautiful. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't expect that many people to show up. But the word got out, and we believe we had close to 100 people showed up um, last night. Um, it was beautiful. Um, you know, it was very emotional because we had family members there and friends that was reading on behalf of the men incarcerated. Um, we had some of the men incarcerated call in. Um, you know, because many of them wanted to just speak to me and their family members at that event. Um, so it was overwhelming. And I went in planning to read three pieces, but I chose to only read one because I felt I had to talk to the community on behalf of the men that they were reading on because they know their family members, but most of them I probably know them better because I've been around some of them 20, 30 years, and we have built relationships. So I felt I was obligated to speak on behalf of the men and just inform the families of the importance that, you know, they have some intelligent family members. And these men, I know, have redeemable qualities, and they can contribute something back to our community. And I just wanted to let them know that I would be on the front line. I would be here. I would be a voice. You know, I finally learned my phone number by heart by giving it out to so many people. Because I found myself still carrying this book right here, my phone book. Because I ain't figured out all the things about that phone, so I still keep it right here. So, um... So the event was overwhelming, you know, and just had opportunity to talk to the community for the first time. You know, I've, you know, even when court came, they told me if my the victims show up, don't look directly at the victim's family. But in my mind, I said, you know, them are the people I have to talk to more than anybody. The judge, because I owed it to that family because I never had opportunity to tell them that I deeply regret what I've done. The damage and the, the loss of life that I caused them. So, um, and last night, same situation. I felt I had to speak on behalf of those men and just let everybody know that, you know, we do have victims and we have to remember them regardless of the circumstances, there were victims. And I know we can get caught up in fighting our fighting. We can forget that part of it, but I don't think that's something that we can ever forget. You know, that's really beautiful. Well, I'll tell you what, if you need technology lessons, uh, our man, Eric Burgess over here is, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> the techno wizard. Uh, um, so that's great. So it sounds like the, the event was a huge success. Yes. Um, are, is that an annual event or are there more? Uh, do we know when the next one will be or that roughly was, speaking? I'm that curious. was the first one of that kind because okay. they, it was the closing of an exhibit. Got it. And what they did, they put up all the paintings of all the men yeah. as well as all their writing. And we done a documentary in 2015 through the New Yorker. And they had that where people can see that documentary. So it was just the closing of the exhibit of all our work over the years. What's that documentary called? Um, it was The Writer's Block. Um, you go to The New Yorker and research The Writer's Block and it'll come on. Yeah, if you do a, if you do a search on uh, 
it's it's the New York Post. Right. Uh, look for Writer's Block, Macomb Correctional Facility, and you'll be able to find an amazing video where you can hear the guys reading their own poetry. Um, you'll hear JMO reading a few of of his of his own words, and it's just a really it's it's one of the few ways that you can actually see what's going on inside. It's it's very rare that the press is allowed to go behind the walls, so it's a it's a great opportunity to see what the classrooms look like and and how how close the students get. I mean, when you look around the table at Writer's Block, everybody's sitting real close together. Everybody's working together. They're writing together, and it's just it's something that I think most people don't think of when they think about oh, what's going on you know in prison these days. Great. And uh, I do just want to point out, so just a few other things upcoming. Um, so uh, we plugged this on the last episode as well. Uh, if you're interested in a similar type of program, um, the PCAP, the Prison Creative Arts Project, has their award winners exhibit in Detroit from May 5th to 27th. Um, so that is also a um, exhibition, a, a gallery of um, art and poetry uh, that is produced by folks that are currently incarcerated. Um, the event is free. It's at the University of Michigan uh, Detroit Gallery. Um, and again, we will be sure to include uh, that information in our in the notes uh, for the podcast as well. Um, one other event, and I was hoping Anna could uh, elaborate here, but um, the Returning Citizens Task Force Resource Fair. Um, I believe that is Saturday, May 6th. Am I Yes, that is Saturday, May 6th. Uh, the, the Returning Citizens uh, Resource Task Fair is a great opportunity to come out and hear about the employers who will extend job offers to folks who, who do have records or other barriers to employment. They have a number of housing providers, health providers, mental health providers. So if you're looking for some support that you feel like you might not be getting, please come out and join us. Um, you can get more information, I believe, on uh, Councilwoman Janae Ayer's website if you search City of Detroit, uh, Councilwoman Ayer's. She's the she's the chair of that resource fair, and it's it's a great way to hear about services uh, all throughout the city and all throughout the suburbs that can be supportive to folks like you. And that's from that's on Saturday, May sixth, from ten a.m. to two p.m. at the Tabernacle Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church two zero eight zero West Grand Boulevard in Detroit. Right. Yeah. Um. A friend of mine just sent me that sent me that information. Oh, one thirty. Perfect. Asked me where I attended. So. Um, I get, Will you be there? Yeah, I'll be there. All right, fantastic. So come, so, so co- yeah, so come and meet JMO. <laughs> <laughs> come, come and meet JMO. Come, and you know what? Actually, this is uh, not necessarily a plug that JMO knows I'm doing, but Writer's Block uh, put together a book of his poetry. And they're selling it. I believe it's twelve dollars a piece. It's either ten or twelve. And so uh, maybe we can set something up where JMO does a little book signing uh, of of all the poetry that he's put together over the years because they were just selling them for the first time at the event last night, which was which was very very cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's so cool. Do you plan to keep writing? Yes. Um. I, before I left, um, I started writing a book on my life story. So. I have a lot of it done. I figure I'm going to wait for another year after go through this whole experience right here being released. But I'm going to start doing some editing on the work that I have done right now and try to have that out within the next year or two. Great. Thank you so much for, for sharing your story and for coming out here today. Uh, I guess I just want to turn it back over to you for some final thoughts. Anything else uh, you want to tell the people out there? Um, Thank you all for giving me the opportunity to be here today to speak to you as well as the um, Men and women in our community, um, you know, we have a fight, and I think the community have to come together to fight the many injustices that we face within our community. Um, and I think the only way we can accomplish that by coming together and getting to know each other as neighbors. I was talking to Anna earlier today. That's so important that neighbors get to know each other so we know what's going on in our community. 
And we have to fight when we see injustice, regardless who the injustice is against, whether it's white, black, Asian, Jewish, whatever. We have to fight against injustice. No. Communities, we just have to come together. If we want something better for our communities, it's going to be important that the community unite because um, we have to stop the violence within our community. It's so important. I'm a firm believer um, the police have tried all their methods. They have spent millions and billions of dollars to stop it. I'm just a firm believer that the new, the, I would say the new crusade is going to be men and women coming out of the prison system that's committed to changing the conditions. I think that's where it's going to have to come from, and they're going to have to use their influence and their story to share with people, and hopefully we can end some of the gang violence that's taking place within our community because we have a lot of children walking around our community. They're hopeless. You know, you know, we think we know what they're going through, but we'll be surprised because I was surprised doing some of the mentor classes through the Chance for Life at Macomb when the men would finally tr- find trust in me and tell me what was going on in life and why they were so violent or why they were being part of games. And I, it surprised me. I, I was shocked by some of the stories, you know. I was shocked about the level of child abuse, you know, physically and sexually and those things that was going on in our community. And it's a result of why a lot of our children are being rebellious because they're growing up in households without family structures. So the games become family structure for them. And we have to change that course. I think we as a community have to come together. We have to decide that I may not live in Detroit, but I'm, be, I'm affected by what's going on in Detroit. And I think our people in Royal Oaks, um, Dearborn, Southfield, wherever you may live, you have a responsibility to give back to those that's going through hard times, when it's, especially when it comes to children. You know, they are our future at the end of the day. You know, we have to decide what we want coming home to be look like. And I'd like to just thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here and share this moment with you. Thank you very much. Well, just one final thought. I just want to, like I said, uh, reiterate. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you, Jamie, for sharing your story. Yes, and I'd like thank you, Jacob, for being a co-creator on this podcast. And may we continue to use this social platform for people around the world. Like right. I said, not only just being pigeonholed in Michigan, mm-hmm. I want this our stories to be heard around the world. Maybe your story, my story, someone else's story can impact somebody else's life. And that's my goal. And hopefully this brother here or this man continue his story and be a gateway, you know, to assist others. Thank you very much. Got some very exciting things in store on the podcast coming soon, so look out for that. Uh, I hope that we have you guys back soon. Um, I hope that you guys can be regular contributors and can't wait to be doing this again and however many months and hear about all the amazing progress you've made. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. uh, Thank you. Talk to you all soon.